Hi friends, this video slash podcast is going to be about a conversation that I have with my friend Austin Ross, who is a very talented and very knowledgeable jazz pianist, and he has a lot to say about creativity and the creative process, and this is exactly what I'm after in my conversations about creativity and the creative process. Quick preface, we started on this very broad river of, of talking about this idea of being inspired by all sorts of different crafts in your own craft. And I've been speaking a lot about this lately, and that's because I think it's a, a very interesting topic, and I wanted to include him on that discussion. We digressed in, uh, uh, from this broad river into different streams, and then we, bro we progressed, it's different, it's actually more painful, into a larger stream over in this direction. It was a very fruitful stream. There were f fruit floating in the stream, some sort of paradox of nature, I suppose. Uh, and this, this stream was about this idea of putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, maybe intentionally, and the value that you can pull out of that and, and having to improvise, which of, of course was only natural that that would come along in a conversation with a jazz pianist. The, the value of putting yourself in, in these situations that are shifting beneath your feet and you have to improvise and problem solve on the fly. And then we, you know, other different streams and digressions, and then we came back to the main river, and then we went off again, and it was a lovely conversation, and here it is, and I hope you find it valuable. Hi friends, welcome back to another video slash episode of the James Red Podcast. Today I'm here with my friend Austin Ross. Ah uh, yes, a lovely jazz pianist. And many other things, including uh, you're you're taking on college at the moment, correct? That's right. Yeah, How, taking uh, on is an actual is uh, a great way to describe it. Taking on head on. Um. So, so I for you, what what we were dealing with before this thing started was you leading up to being here, and you were taking care of your college. Uh, what's the word? College obligations. And we were talking on the way, uh, for you, on the way home, you were like, I'm talking to you uh, via audio. Mm -hmm. Let's go ahead and primer our conversation before mm -hmm. we get to the, to, to the actual conversation. Then we went on this freaking crazy rampage. We went into politics. You were talking about debate. This is the essence of our relationship is I told, I told my wife in the middle of that conversation, this conversation just a second ago, that we're we're a bit like a like a dragster car, where we hit the gas and then we're just we're just we're like full speed. We're just going all sorts of. I guess the analogy breaks down because we're going all sorts of different directions. Yeah, drag racers typically just go one way. Yeah, you you don't normally want this in a drag racer. Anyway, so uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to chat with Austin for this particular conversation is he is. He is a, a lovely, thoughtful mind in the world of creativity, very knowledgeable. Every time I speak to him, I experience more of this. He can, he can rattle off uh, many a, a jazz pianist. He just went to a concert, correct? Mm-hmm, yeah. How did that go? It was awesome. Uh, we saw Brad Meldow, who, for those of you who don't know, um, Brad is... A personal hero of mine. He's a he's a jazz pianist from Jacksonville, Florida, and he's a stylistic descendant of the great Bill Evans, who was, um, uh, among other things, the father of the so what voicing that Miles Davis famously used for his chords 
in the album uh, Kind of Blue. And he, um, Bill Evans has a very modal, very colorful style and approach to jazz piano. And so Brad Meldow is kind of like, he's kind of one of, one of Bill Evans' descendants. But he very much has his own voice and his own unique take on things. And his, his music is very, um, I don't want to say intellectual, but it's very thoughtful. And it's very, um, it's really, really cool to see him live. He came to UT Dallas um, University of Texas at Dallas, and they, I, I'm pretty sure they invited him because I, I can't imagine him making a stop willingly at UT Dallas, um, just picking that on his tour. But we got to see him uh, for about 80 minutes. He he played, including the encore, and his trio is just ridiculous. They're awesome. Super good, super good. See, you, you guys see what I'm saying? Knowledgeable. He just started rattling off all sorts of things. That uh, the, the words that I don't understand, such as <laughs> pianist. Uh, <laughs> uh, I did very quick sidetrack before we get heavily into this thing. The video okay. side of this, uh, for everyone who's watching, is heavily experimental. It, it who knows what's going to end up happening. Hopefully, it looks decent. I'm still working out the kinks in that. Hopefully, audio will be clean, which is which is priority numero one. But anyway, so I'm glad you had a lovely concert. Uh, today I wanted to chat a little bit about this this idea. By the way, also another by the way is leading up to this was this is my analogy, Austin, of what leading up to us meeting today was in terms of getting us to come together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of scheduling, yeah. it was a bit like a concert where sure. you, you are the pianist. I'm in the crowd. I'm anticipating. Just with all of my heart, I am. I'm so ready. I'm there. I prayed before I got there. E- everything is just in line. I'm ready for things to happen in my life. Oh, and somebody comes on the stage and says, "Austin is uh, his plane crashed. He's hopping on another <laughs> plane now, but he's going to be late." And we wait there patiently. And then you get in an Uber. That Uber driver, he doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't, he doesn't understand which side of the road to drive on because he just moved here. And everything's just crazy. It takes you 30 days to get there, but we're waiting patiently for you. And in you the get, audience. And you get there. Right, in the audience. You get there, and it is the best concert ever. Wow. Well, I don't know if today will be the best concert ever, but <laughs> I actually had a, simulation, it's a, a situation very similar to that happen to me very recently. Um one of the perks of being at Colin uh, College is my community college is we kind of are in uh, cent- central Dallas area, which is an arts, a very big arts district. And so we have a jazz festival or jazz fest every year. And this year and every year, uh, one of the things about having a jazz fest is you have a guest artist come out. And so we invited all the local high school and middle schools um, to bring out their best jazz bands, and they get, they all get a chance to perform in front of some judges and get clinics from the judges and get feedback. And there was like performer of the band for you know for each band. It was a really really awesome experience for them. And then we had our guest artist come out, and he performed with Colin College's uh, big band, uh, which is what I'm a part of, our lab band. Well, um, Friday night is the first night of the jazz fest, and it's the faculty concert. So we have one of the student combos perform and then we have the faculty concert immediately after that um 
And the faculty concert also features our guest artist. Our guest artist was supposed to fly in on Thursday. His flight from New York was delayed three times. He finally leaves New York Friday morning, has a layover in D.C., gets his flight delayed like two more times. And so he doesn't get to the – and the concert starts at 7. So he pushed the concert start time to 8 in hopes that he gets there in time. 8 rolls by. He's still in the air. We decide, okay, we're just going to go with it, and we're just going to pad time, right? Mm. By the way, I'm playing with a faculty band because um, the, the, the faculty pianist is on a gig somewhere, somewhere else. He's not available to play with the faculty band. So I'm playing with the faculty band. So we go out on stage after running through all the tunes uh, that, that our guest artist sent us and then running through some audibles, uh, which are basically just tunes that you call on the spot. That's why it's called audible, like, like on a football field when someone calls a play, it's an audible. Um, <laughs> so we, we had a few audibles ready to go. and Always uh, have your audibles ready to go. Right. So... We're in the middle of the concert. We run through all our all our solo or all the faculty band only stuff, and then the like. As we're finishing up with that, our guest artist walks out on the stage, and he's like, "Let's let's go, let's rock." And you would you would never think that he had been waiting in the airport for twelve straight hours, like that a whole entire day. Yeah. basically shot just sitting in the airport, and he's a world class bass trombonist. Which is kind of awesome because you don't see a whole lot of bass trombonists being like solo artists as like your guest artist is like the mm. feature. Um, but he, he shows up and he's, he had to deal with like all kinds of people because in airports, they want to take your instrument. They want to check it, you know, or it's whatever. It's like, this is a $50,000 bass trombone. You're not taking this from me over my <laughs> dead body, right? But he walks out there. He puts on a, a show of our lifetime. And you would never have thought that he had been waiting so long and been on so many flights and having so many flights delayed. That is the mark of a professional. Yes, he and he. I so, I said, man, it's remarkable how how well you. I mean, how much of a performance you gave us, given how much how tired you must be. And he's like, son, I'm gonna tell you something that someone once told me: a gig is a gig is a gig is a gig is a gig. And I was like, wow, it's pretty good. That's it. So. Yeah, it's good stuff. That's good stuff. <laughs> sorry to sorry to derail your entire. No, no, no. That thing. was that was beautiful. There were tons of morsels there. Uh, don't uh, don't. What was it? What was the first one? Don't. Uh, oh yeah, always have your audibles ready. Audibles, yes. And a gig is a gig is a gig is a gig. Right, is a right. gig. And if you're feeling discouraged, just continue that statement out as long as necessary to you. <laughs> right. You know. Uh, so what? So. What we're going, what I wanted to touch on in terms of the topic of this this thing is uh, connecting crafts together in terms of inspiration, which I've been speaking to a lot lately, and I, I want to hear Austin's viewpoint on this because I think you probably have a very uh, unique set of takes. I think just from our pre-conversation, uh, we we primed ourselves for our unique unique set of takes for sure. But uh, I am heavily inspired by all sorts of different crafts, even crafts that fall outside of the realm of what we would call traditionally creative. Just made a video with my wife today about her past uh, swimming career. This is a good example of this sort of thing and her discipline that she pulled from this. 
I say career, she did it in high school, but mm-hmm. uh, but she she uh she was uh she was a fantastic swimmer in her time. But I'm inspired by all sorts. I mean, I, my my time at Starbucks, I learned a lot about efficiency. I'm inspired by police, <laughs> military. I'm inspired by talented communicators, anybody who is is disciplined, uh masterful musicians, uh anybody who pursues something difficult and meaningful and pass uh is willing to pass through uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. i think that manifests itself in so many in, in endless different ways in the yeah. world and i think it it may be maybe uh something that you should not limit you should not limit yourself to only your craft if you're trying to inspire yourself, there's so much you can learn from people who are more industrious and conscientious and uh, and uh, structure driven than you are, especially Uh-oh. as a creative. Are you having issues? Yeah, uh, connectivity. Oh, testing. Testing. I hear you fine. Okay. Let me make sure I'm on the proper bandwidth. Quite all right. Yes, I am. I'm okay. enjoying looking yeah. at your picture. Nice, my picture from a year ago. <laughs> now, what? Now, one that we do share to some extent, and I don't know how much you do listen to him, is uh, Jacob Collier. I was talking to you beforehand about. I hate that guy. I, I, okay, all right, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow, this conversation's really not going to go the way I planned it. <laughs> no, I, I love Jacob Collier. Uh, I say I hate him because I. It's just he's so freaking good. It's just frustrating. If for, it's like for everybody for for everybody he's a to to call him a jazz pianist is is just an incredible understatement he's a jazz everythingist he can anything that you can hit or 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 rub and make a sound come out he is good at that instrument not only is he a singer and a multi-instrumentalist he can play anything you throw at him i'm pretty sure he could play like obscure middle eastern or indian instruments you know microtonal stuff he's also if a brilliant mind in terms of music theory and how he conceptualizes music which is really really cool for someone like me or, or other you know young musicians where i mean he's kind of even though he's our age he's almost like older in a sense when it comes to his ability to con- to understand music in terms of, uh, uh, I'm not going to go into any jargon, but just the way he conceptualizes it and explains it mm-hmm. and makes it really in- easy to understand, but also illuminates a lot of concepts that young musicians might not really be privy to or might not know that they don't even know. Well, another thing that he does well, and this is important in the world of photography too, is I am very impressed by his understanding of how to communicate, but both verbally to explain to people, but also how to actually initiate and execute on on um, a really uh, a really well rounded understanding of the emotionality of music. Mm-hmm. He he, there's one uh, I think it's in the real early morning. I think it's called mm-hmm. uh, that. There's a there's a version of that where he played it with the uh an orchestra i think it was on bbc something yeah the bbc yeah Yeah. so he played it with the orchestra that that song that song almost brought me to tears yeah uh because it's just it is so emotionally rich with all sorts of you feel like you're going through a lifetime with him (laughs) and the 
in the song. And and uh, his ability to do that is something very special in, uh, in line with his ability, with his technical ability. Right, and both of those. Well, that's things, the mark of a good composer is they can tell a story with yeah. music. Yeah, I mean his 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 uh the way that he the way that he um, works those things together in harmony is really special. Um, Absolutely. But uh, one of the things that I I came across that was super inspiring to me was his these long two hour live sessions of him taking. We were speaking about this a little beforehand. He will take. A uh, a fan sent in <laughs> musical melody, like they'll mm-hmm. sing it, and they'll just hold out their iPhone and sing it, and then he will take that, put it into his his uh, his his musical. What would you call it? There's a name for it. Digital audio workstation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Apple one. So he Logic. Logic. He'll put it into. I believe it was Logic. And he will proceed to turn this single, the single, uh, the single video into like 250 layers of musical instruments, and uh, half of them being his voice. And what I was so inspired by watching this was well, one is the, the fact that he's not scared to put 250 music tracks and somehow make those sound good together. Yeah. But also uh, his his speed. And and he, uh, I think a lot of this comes from his ability that he's grown to loop, loop instruments on stage on the fly. Yeah. Um, yeah. His speed in doing this, and I'm sure he was expediting some of this for the live stream. But his speed, his playfulness, uh, this this theory he has about music, which is that you should get all of the ideas out of your head. So it's what I call the creative vomit theory, where mm-hmm. it's you get all of your ideas out of your head in front of you and then you have he explains it as the courage and conviction to get rid of what doesn't work right i think that's incredibly fascinating mm-hmm. and also his ability to communicate uh to communicate about music within that i mean just he, he'll 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 go on for a while you'll hear him explaining what's going on which is fascinating on his own but near the end you know he'll sit down for a second and he'll talk about the emotionality of music and you're like you are you are an amazing genius of a, of a human being yeah so that's incredibly inspiring have you seen me. the video he does oh uh, with, which um, one? uh where he explains harmony on multiple different levels to different people of different ages yes so he, yeah, starts, he starts with, with like, the preschooler kid. right and then he starts in the high, uh, middle school high school college music student and then professor and then he goes all the way up to herbie hancock yeah whom he's friends with he's just friends with herbie hancock yeah just, no big deal no big deal. Just the one of the greatest jazz pianists ever. <laughs> they just sit like, down and they just sit down and have a good old time, like they're sitting in the living room together. He wrote a half a dozen jazz standards that are in every jazz musician's repertoire ever. Yeah, of course. Everyone in the grandma knows it. He's just friends. He just buds with that guy. I play drums and I know it. You know, <laughs> uh, that's a lie. Uh, yeah, I, I thought that was fascinating, and I think that his ease in in being able to sort through those nuanced thoughts and turn them into something cohesive, he's incredible. And he, of course, he does it with this glorious English accent. Yes, that just that makes everything sound better. But I, I am curious, though, um, how have a second ago I was speaking to this idea of people who are willing to press through uncomfortable situations mm-hmm. and how important that is. 
I, I'm curious how you how you've been able to grow through uncomfortable situations. Have you had situations that have really pushed you to a place? Oh yeah. That was that, that... dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Please oh, my tell goodness. me about all of them. <laughs> all of uh, I'm in the middle of something right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, uncomfortable situations. Uh, but, um, the biggest one and at, the hey, at least you knew the mind, person who peeked around the corner. It feels like a, my, some, some sort brother. of robber. Then it would be a really <laughs> yeah. uncomfortable situation. Right. Ah! Um, <laughs> we see a samurai my, um, sword for some reason. Yeah. My, let's see a good example of an uncomfortable situation that pushed me to grow. And one of the biggest things in music is you just throw yourself into the deep end of the pool as in jazz, particularly sure. in classical in, in music. Improvisation. Yes. In classical music, you like, you sit in the room with your instructor and they scream at you in a thick Russian accent until your fingers bleed and you're crying. And then you do that rinse and repeat every day until you're absolutely perfect at everything. And jazz, we're a little bit more sloppy. Uh, that's not true. We, we spend hours in the woodshed, but that's for those of you who are out of the loop. Uh, the jargon is being in the woodshed or a common uh, shorthand is shedding. And that's just working on whatever it is you're working on mm. musically mm. being in the shed. Shedding. You know, you see this in uh, musical performances online, you'll see mm -hmm. in the shed or something of this sort. I, I thought it was just because musician people like to go into the shed in the back. No, no. It's because family colloquially inside. there used to be like horn players would go out back behind their house to the woodshed to practice. And ah. so that just kind of became the place where musicians go to practice is the shed. So oh, now, that's like, quaint. So, yeah. So now when you say, uh, man, I really got a shed on, you know, kind of, or on all blues, you know, they're saying, I really got to work on all blues, this, this song, this tune. I have to work on that. I have to learn it. I have to be better at it. Anyway. Uncomfortable sheds. Uncomfortable sheds. So... Throwing one of the elements of being a musician and jazz, especially, is to throw yourself into the deep end of the pool. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable with taking solos. When and a solo in jazz means that you you play, you improvise over a chord progression, and that can be uh, a short a short excerpt of a big band piece, or it can be soloing over the entire form of a song, um, improvising over the entire form of a song, and it's just you. And of course, the other the other members of the band are backing you up. They're um, complimenting you mm. and, and creating you know, a backbone for your improvisation. Right, like the bass player and the and the drums. They're they're laying down a beat, and the the keys player is, will typically be playing chords, or it'll be keys or guitar that'll be playing chords that help you know where you are in the in the form. Um, but ultimately, you have to be willing to just. It doesn't matter how long you spend in the shed. Doesn't matter how long you you spend working on your scales or whatever. Ultimately, there has to come a moment of truth where you're like, "Okay, bite the bullet. I'm gonna have to go in and take a solo." So, one of those big moments for me, and I've been very conscientious of this since my I began my career as a college jazz musician. Um, but one of the moments of truth for me was actually this concert that I was telling you about, the faculty concert that I played in, because I was prepared 
to maybe play like the chords to the songs, right? I can I can read a chord, I can read a cheat sheet of just the chords. Like I got that down, right? I can right, comp. Right. I'm really good at that. What I'm not good You're at You're the chord is, guy. Yeah, like Austin. Oh man, the, he's the chord guy. When when the when the the guitarist looks at me, he's like, "You want to take the melody?" I'm like, huh? "I didn't really practice the melody on this particular <laughs> tune, actually, Pete." But I, I, I can cha- I, uh, I can change up the pattern of the chords, right? <laughs> I, and he's like, I'm, "I'm like, okay." So we played one of the tunes we played is a beautiful love. And it's a really nice uh, swing, a swing tune, medium swing. And, do, and the melody's like, it's like really simple scalar melody. It's like a bunch of, there's not a whole lot of skips, but there's a couple instances where I'm like changing the key or I'm borrowing from another key to go into a different chord or whatever. And so I know this song well enough to play it but I don't know it well enough to perform it in front of an audience. But yet, this is exactly what I'm doing. Pete's like, take the melody and I'll take it on the way out. And that just means I play the melody on, on the intro or on the beginning of the song, and then everyone takes a turn soloing. And then after everyone's done soloing, we play the melody one more time. And mm. whoever taking the melody out is the person taking the melody. So um, I have to play the melody on this song, and then I end up taking a solo for some reason because – in combo situations where it's just a small band and it was just a uh, a quartet. It was a guitar, bass, drums, piano. So guitar took a solo and I comp for him. Then uh, bass took a solo. Then drums took a solo. Or no, guitar, bass. And the bass player looked at me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I'll take one, I guess. But it was, it was I, I think enough. to people who are not musicians, I, I, I would be curious because I myself am a musician and I know I understand what you're saying in terms of the feeling of, of what that can create in you when you need to mm-hmm. sort of step out a little bit. Right. I've never improvised. I've never improvised a proper solo of something. I, I as a drummer, my mm-hmm. main goal is to be the backbone and I, I'm a very comfortable backbone and meaning that sure. I can improvise within that. Right. Very, very well. But right. but this idea of like everybody stops and you're supposed to do something interesting yes. is 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 scary stuff, but I yes. but I get it. I th- I wonder if people who are not musicians and people who participate in uh, you know like a lot of people who follow me, photographers, if they don't quite understand what that feels like and I wonder how much more that idea scares them. It's mm. it's w- when you when you once you can figure out how to figure get your way around the fear mm-hmm. it is one of the best types of feelings just being able yeah. to step out a little bit and do and do something that you feel really good about and a little bit of improv- improvisation you come yes. out on the end of that and it's the the greatest feeling ever it's so exhilarating to to try to navigate through that that treacherous landscape where you don't have yeah. your footing and you you got to figure out how to problem solve really quickly. And that's the whole right. point. And right. I think that it's so important to do that in every art form in some way or another. And that every art form offers its own version of that, but carry on. Yeah, I you know you're, you're absolutely right. I guess an analog for those of you who aren't uh, musicians, um, everyone talks, everyone talks to everyone else. There's no, there's no person on the planet who doesn't communicate in some way or another. I think a good analog for being a soloist or taking a solo on a song is giving a speech, right? You're, I mean, everyone on the planet is comfortable talking with their friends, right? 
I can, but if I were to invite all of your friends to come and sit in, in a bunch of chairs and then put you on a stage and you have to make up something important to say on the spot, that's the kind of feeling we're, we're dealing with yeah. because yeah. jazz improvisation is not just, let me like play a bunch of licks. It's not just, I'll just, I'll just make up something um, that sounds good, right? You're saying something meaningful, not only to your other bandmates, but to your audience. You're, you're, trying, to, you're trying to make a point without saying words because music is, is how, we, how we speak without words. You know, we, we tell stories, we, we communicate emotions, we um, express ideas, and we explore um, concepts that we can't really adequately deal with with just the written word. Yeah. So I guess a good analog for that is you have to make up something interesting to say and important to say on the spot. And I gathered all of your friends in front of a, in, in front of you in, in a stage, you instantly feel a lot more nervous. You're instantly, there's a lot more pressure than if you're just with a group of your close friends, and, right? Well, just talking thing, and, and sharing your ideas. Yeah. And another thing very quickly is, is you feel more nervous but within that feeling of nervousness, you also you are you are more there than you would be. Yes, you're more present than you would be if you did not have that to deal with. Absolutely, and accessing that as a human is a is a very important thing. That's actually a terrific point. I didn't think about it that way, but yeah, you I are tried. way more you are way more present when you're improvising than you are when you're not when you're like. Because I can just sit back and comp, right? Yeah. Comping is just playing chords behind everyone else. Because if you know the form really well, and you should, if you're a, a jazz musician, you should know the form of whatever song you're playing well enough to, to just go through it like the back of your hand. You can just sit back and like close your eyes and whatever. and just You shouldn't close your eyes, by the way. Eye contact is super important, unless you're Stevie Wonder. Um, or unless your band's not going to do anything different than what you guys practiced. That's directly, dumb. which is You're, that's I, dumb. Jazz that's, does jazz. I don't think that exists in jazz so much. Well, the horn players kind of do their own thing, but the rhythm section, we need to kind of be on the same page. I need to be able to look at the look at the at my drummer in the eye, look at my bass player in the eye, look at my guitarist in the eye, and know where we are and what we're doing. Because, for instance, if we go from a four feel to a two feel, for, so instead of one, two, three, four, it's one two, one, two. Mm. I need to communicate with my drummer and he needs to let, and my bass player, because the bass player really keeps time. They need to look at me and let me know that's what's going on. We all need to be looking at each other. And then I'm like, okay, now we're on the same page. And of course that happens with your ear too, but making that eye contact is super important so that we're all following each other and we all like have that recognition of like, I'm with you, I see you, I know what you're doing, right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Huge rabbit rabbit trail. I like it. The uncomfortable thing. Have your audibles. Keep your eyes open. A gig is a gig is a gig is a gig is a gig. Is a gig. Gucci gang. Oh, God. Gucci gang. Gang gang. So, this uncomfortable situation wasn't... I mean, I wasn't truly uncomfortable being on stage. I could take the melody. It was embarrassing that I didn't know it. I felt dumb i was like why don't i know this melody as well as i should and I, I i got through it well enough and i took a i took a pretty 
okay, Solo was meh. And then the other thing is, or no, and then we got through those two tunes, and then Ron, our guest artist, walks out, and we start playing some of his tunes. And the first tune of his was really cool. It was a blues with a, with a, with a bridge, with a B section. And blues, for those of you who don't know, is a chord progression. The blues is one, four, one, four, five, four, one of whatever key you're in. Right? I, know, I know what that means. Okay, so chords. Right? Chords. I do know what yeah. chords are. Yeah, you know what a scale is? I know what a scale is. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Right. Those sure. Are... Do, fa, do, fa. The, those chords. If I, took, if I took made a chord out of every note in the scale, going from do to fa, back to do to fa, to do to fa, to, to so to fa to do, that's the blues. Okay. In a nutshell. That's There's more the to blues. it, but that's, that's the gist of it. I feel like I'm spending so much time explaining things just to tell a story. Um, I like it. Which is why I'm not one of those great communicators you, you mentioned in your, in your <laughs> no, no, no. rambling. You're, no, no, listen, your ability to break down those concepts is very, very, uh, very important, and it does not go unnoticed. Okay. So blues with a B section means that there's a, there's a chorus there in between every time we run through the one four one four five four one okay so there's another set of chords that we do it's really really fun tune really fast it's like upbeat um and then we play and then he and so that one he he had sent us beforehand and he sent us like a, a list of songs that he might call at any given point in the concert that we might that we might play and so one of the ones that he didn't send us was the one he ended up calling. And he's like, I'm going to slow it down for y'all. We're going to open up the dance floor. And it's a theater, so there's no floor to, on which to dance. All and right. so there's people laughing in the audience. I like, like this guy, though. Yeah, I do. I, he's awesome. And he's like, you know who you are. And everyone laughs some more. But he was, he was kind of serious because jazz music is ultimately about being able to dance, right? Mm. I, I want to go back to, uh, you know, I want to go back to, uh, I guess I suppose it would be maybe the 50s or so when when you go to these clubs and you see these people Swing. dancing. Swing and, yeah, yeah, they're dancing. They got the dresses on. They got, they're all, you know. 30s all the way through the 50s. All the, Swing kind of became yeah. a, big, a big thing. Well, and all the, you know, all the clubs nowadays, uh, the clothing is a little less, let's say, elegant. Mm. But I feel like back then it was a, it was a very, uh, it was very eloquent expression you know swing swing was super scandalous okay the, the older generations thought it was um but when you say scandalous do you mean 1930s scandalous or yes. 2018 scandalous no because i just watched thought, cardi b very, on, they, at coachella they, yes and uh and that was that was in if that happened in the 1930s people would be running around stabbing each other mm-hmm. but carry on 1930s scandalous they thought it was super sexually provocative just the just moving around so fast and you know swinging each other around and, and jumping all the gyrations and all, the, all the yeah all the gyrations exactly it was it's too much it's 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 unchristian right mm. nowadays christian homeschool co-ops teach swing dancing as a class so it's like how funny how funny uh, anyway but he he didn't call a swing tune he called a ballad really slow called my foolish heart and he said, everyone pull out your real books. And the real book is uh, 
a big book of songs that everyone should know that's a jazz musician. And no one memorizes the real book, but it's kind of like a, a, a jazz musician's toolbox. The real book. I like that. The real book. Because there are fake books, right, that help you fake a performance. And so there was a bunch of them made that were really low quality. And someone was like, I was gonna, I'm going to make one that's the real one, the real book. Stupid. Anyway, <laughs> he's like, everyone get out your real books. And he was kind of talking to the audience, but he was talking to the audience, talking to the band, like being funny. And so I take that super seriously. I'm like, oh, no, he's about to call a tune. I don't know. So I, I, I pull out my real book. I was like flipping through the pages. And it's on my iPad. I'm using the real book on my iPad. All the, all the, the musicians on stage are panicking. <laughs> no, these guys are, are pros. They're all faculty. So they, mm. they will take anything you can throw at them. Legit, they can, they can play anything, anything you tell them. <clears throat> Me, I'm an amateur. So he takes, he, he, he's like counting us off. And I still don't know. He's like, one, two, one, two, three. And I don't know what the song is. And at the very last second, he's got his bass trombone in his hand. He leans over to me. He says, young man, my foolish heart in B flat. I'm like, okay. Flipping <laughs> <So he like laughs> flip through the pages as fast as I can. I pull up my keyword search. I type it in. I'm like, my hands are shaking. I'm like, oh, my. What so, that, can I stop you really quick? Yes. What was what was the value of that pressure in that moment for you? Well, I'm getting to that. Okay, okay, okay. Carry on. Yes. So he's already started the tune, right? And so I I pull up I my foolish heart and the, it pulls up the index, right? And there's two there's two songs called my and that start with F. Hmm. And so. I tap on my foolish heart, and it takes me to the, it takes me to this chart. I'm like, okay, great. I know where we are, and I start playing chords, and they don't sound right. And I'm like, this does not sound anything like what he's playing. So I kind of lay off for a bit, and I just wait. And I'm looking at the top of the tune, and I'm like, okay, so there's an internal repeat here. So he's going to come back to this section at some point. And when how he long, does, how I'll long jump did back this in. this uh, situation go on for before you sorted things out? Felt like out. an eternity. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, but in reality this was about 10 seconds of yeah. real time. That's that's mu- that's in, live music for you. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and it's like okay, there was a repeat and I'm jumping back in and it still feels wrong. And I'm like these chords are not right. They wrote this in the wrong key. And so I'm like, okay, how do I transpose? I'm tra- I'm doing all kinds of problem solving in my head. I'm like, how do I transpose the key? How do I change the key to, the, to be the right key? Am I playing the right notes? Some of these notes sound right. Some of these chords sound right. Some of them don't. And so I'm like really struggling with this This is this when you song. were supposed to use the force. Right. So, yeah, use the force. Take off, take off your navigating computer. Luke, you turn off your computer. Uh, <laughs> It's, or or you can access pain because this was blues, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, you could have accessed previous pain in your life, and you would have found the right chords. Yeah, absolutely. Your, no, yeah, it's definitely that's definitely how music works. It's, I just play what I hear. Just yeah. play what sounds good. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, Why did you leave me, Dad? And it, and it, just, <laughs> it works. I am panicking right now. 
I, I'm sweaty under my armpits. My face is bright red. I guarantee you it was bright red. I, uh, and I'm sitting there in a huff. And he gets through the form. He's, he's a singer, too, if you didn't know. And he's a phenomenal singer. And so he gets through the form. He, gets, he finishes singing. And he pulls up his bass trombone, and he takes his solo on his bass trombone. I'm like, great, okay. He starts, he's starting a new section again. I can jump in again. Nothing is working. I'm like, I eventually just sit out. I'm like, dear Lord Jesus. <laughs> so send me a sign that I, I, that I'm doing something right. You know, like, oh like give me the core. Just tell my fingers what the Jesus take the wheel. Right. is basically what's happening. And I lay out. I know Pete, my guitarist, he's got the chords, so I'm not worried that they're not, that the song is going to go off the rails. I'm just worried that I'm drawing attention to myself and embarrassing myself mm. in, front of this, on, in front of this audience of uh, people who are trying to enjoy this world-class New York jazz musician sing, do his thing, right? I feel like they're saying, get that, who the hell invited this guy to play piano get like that white boy off get, the stage get him off the stage <laughs> right so eventually i look up again i'm like i'm just like closing my eyes i'm like please be over please the song just end and i look up and i realize the chart i was looking at was not my foolish heart in b flat at all okay the chart I was looking at was my funny Valentine in C minor. Ah, yeah, those those I bet that didn't work together. So when I clicked on my foolish heart, I my fat finger was inaccurate, and it took me to one page over. So I flipped back to the other page. See, to this my is why heart. we need physical dials and buttons in music. Right. This is this is the downfall of the digital screen. And if you, I want you guys to take anything away from this uh, this this conversation tonight, as whatever art form you take on, you need physical dials and you need to fight for it, and you need to uh, petition Congress to make sure physical dials <laughs> stay uh, as as a facet of your art. Yeah, because when the government tries to make something happen, it, it always works out exactly as intended every time. Oh, and well, you know, I go to the DMV every couple of days just to just to bring up my spirits, you know. So just to I enjoy agree. how efficient and fast it is. Yes, yes, it's right. a wonderful experience. Lovely, uh, lo- lovely, quick service. They have lollipops at the counter, and everybody looks very attractive. Right. Anyway, so my foolish heart so you died on stage. Yes, very. So, and the story isn't even half over yet. Is the horrible thing. <laughs> so, so right as I jump in, I'm, I, I, I still, I, I'm like, okay, I got the right chart at least, and I still haven't figured out where in the form we are. And I'm scanning this chart, this new chart that I'm learning towards the end of the song. And right as I feel like, okay, I think I know where we are, song ends. And I just kind of play the, play the oh, this tinkly you, chord dude, at the you end. You nailed that nice last one. chord, though. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so I I'll, like, I'll ask again, uh, what was the value of that pressure in that situation for you? What did you learn from that? Okay, well, there's, there's another story that kind of ties into what I'm trying to say. With oh, this, okay. This, there's two 
instances in the same event, the same concert. Okay, uh, okay, I'll uh, I will ask him in a minute. What, yeah, how he learned. No, we'll get back to pressure. that for sure. Carry on. So I went. So I felt horrible coming off of that tune. I, it was abysmal, and I just was like ready to die on the stage right at that moment. I was just like, "Strike me down, Lord! Just take me home." You start hitting your head on the piano. Almost that would have drawn more attention to myself, which I didn't want. I wanted to melt. I wanted to disappear. I uh, sorry. So, have you seen the video of the drummer? He did. It, it was a drummer in an orchestra. He did a solo. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a it was a young Asian boy did a solo. The solo was mediocre, but he but he was passionate and he was doing his best. But you could tell he was nervous. He finishes the solo, and a couple seconds later. You know, kind of falls back into the pocket, and everything had kind of dropped down low at that point. You, the the shot is on him. He throws up. He vomits oh, no. in front of everybody. Oh no! And I, it, you could tell he was. You could tell how he was feeling by how he looked. Like this was the worst day of his entire life. <laughs> And what's weird to me is that he experienced this after, like, I I can totally understand experiencing the uncomfortability beforehand and having to deal with that and then going on stage and and once you get into it, you're normally good, you know, you figure it right. out. Even though it's, it's uncomfortable, maybe you miss something, whatever, you're in the moment. This idea that you do that and you're and you're so affected by what just happened that you vomit on the floor is, I don't understand it, but... The, oh, I get it. I get it completely. The yeah. Oh, okay. The poor kid. The poor kid vomits and then goes. I gotta finish. So he comes back in and starts playing the beat again. Oh my god, <laughs> that's awesome! It was one of the most uncomfortable videos I've ever seen in my life. I would absolutely encourage you to not go watch it. No, I. I your description is apt enough. I think. <laughs> It was very, very uncomfortable. I, what's crazy though is it doesn't. You know how they, they'll normally uh, clickbait it. Mm. I don't. I, I don't think it said anything about the vomit in the description. I think I was looking up bad drum solos, and so the 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 drum solo happens. I'm going, oh man, that well, was not the, that bad. That was the story, and I was like, yeah, you know, he could have done better, but you know, it happens. He'll be fine. All of a sudden. <laughs> And that was, it was the most, it was, it was so surprising. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Carry on your story. Of, no, no. Of overcoming so, death. Yes. So we, he calls another tune and this is a tune that we did rehearse. And I'm like, perfect. Okay. I got this one. Right. And I'm, st- I'm starting to feel back in the groove again. Cause I'm, I'm like playing chords again that I know. That I know that I, I know, mm. right? I'm not worried about am I on the wrong chart. And we're playing this tune, and he takes two solos or two choruses, which is just two run throughs of the form of uh, solo. And then, or no, he, um, he calls on Pete, Mark, our guitarist, to take a solo. Then he takes a solo, and then. On the very last note of his solo. And I'm enamored. By the way, I'm, I'm just watching him and just totally in awe. Because this guy is just incredible on so many levels. First of all, the technical ability on the trombone. He can play every note crystal clear. And you know the trombone has the slide. Sure. It's a slide. So you're, you don't have like frets or valves or pads that 
make distinct individual notes. Uh, but he's making those are, notes yeah. crystal, crystal clear, which is remarkable on its own. And then he's doing what's called multiphonics, which is where he's singing through the trombone while playing the trombone. So it has two notes being played through the trombone at once. What? Yes. That's and he did that multiple times. And when the first time I heard him do that, I was like... <laughs> what is this What is person? going... Am I in space? Yes. Yeah, yeah, literally. So... Did, uh, I, I, I hate to go another direction, uh, but there's a snarky puppy who is another wonderful ensemble of beautiful i think they're classified as a fusion band but fusion very jazzy they the wonderful wonderful uh music fusion is jazz by the way. okay okay despite what when marcellus will tell you okay okay uh so so the beautiful collection of incredibly talented people they will get together with guests uh layla hathaway yes where so at the end she sings this note she accesses a second set of vocal cords and like sings two notes at the same time it's ridiculous it's incredible i don't understand how it worked but i i love one of the throat singing yeah okay Uh, so one of the things one of the beautiful things about music and and specifically you see this in jazz and it's, it's lovely and it's it's this beautiful communal thing is when somebody does something really special and everybody else just starts screaming <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's the sort of the gross factor oh that was that was dirty yes uh and and i i love those moments it makes your face scrunch up you're like oh my gosh that's just Mm. that was filthy you know yes and uh and that's a really that's a really special thing and i think it has a lot to do with the flow state which is another important thing and um flow state all sorts of art but very hard to access yes yes because yeah because you you sort of have to go beyond your own uh your own technical uh, you have to get through your technical brain, which is trying to sort out problems on the fly. You have yes. to learn how to deal with that technical brain while while focusing on trying to find that flow state and feeling comfortable enough to find. It's it's a crazy art in itself, but it's it's important and it's useful to be there. But we can more flow state. I want to finish your story. Go well, ahead. I'll tell you where I didn't find my flow state. Okay, so. <laughs> I'm sitting there enamored with Ron Solo, uh, multiphonics and all, and I'm just sitting there playing keys, and he turns to me, and with the last note, he goes, bonk, right in my face. You know what that means? He wants me to take a solo. Okay, okay. So they communicate (laughs) with the instruments in jazz. (laughs) Well, I mean, when someone looks at you when they're done with their solo, that means it's your turn. Ah, and so he just made it really obvious to the audience so that I could not shrug it off. He want he wanted to push you to the next level, man. Yes. Did you have a so next he goes, level? Bonk. So <laughs> I take this solo and it's the worst freaking solo of my entire life, okay? First of all, I I I'm self-taught. And I learned piano on an upright. And one of the things you have to know about piano is uh, different pianos have w- different what is called action, and action is just um, how hard it is, how heavy the keys are to mm. play. The difference so on an between upright, a MIDI controller with plastic keys and maybe right, like a grand piano. A concert grand piano. Right, so an upright piano, 
um, will typically have very light action. The keys are really easy to depress. Um, it takes no effort at all to play it. By contrast, a concert grand has very heavy keys because concert grands typically are geared for a lot of dynamic range, right? I want to be able to play really soft, and I also want to be able to play really loud. And, and you're so actually moving have, mechanical pieces in the piano by right. pressing down on the keys as well. And so the heavier the key is, the more control I have over my dynamic range. Well, I learned on an upright, and so my fingers are used to really light action and not used to really heavy action of a concert grand. And so my fingers are really stiff. Were you, on, were you on that sort of, you had heavy action yeah, we, on that it was one? Yeah, it was a concert grand. I see. One of the perks of being at my college is that we're a Steinway school, and Steinway is one of the premier uh, grand piano manufacturers of the world, mm. manufactured and hand, handmade in America. And so if they decide to sponsor your school, that's a really big deal because that means that they give you a bunch of pianos. They just give the school the pianos. That's and fantastic. That means that they sponsor your school. So all the piano technicians, all, all the piano technicians come from them. All the tuning of the piano, all the maintenance, all replacement parts, they handle all of that for and as long as they're your sponsor. So that's it's really, an, really cool. That's an incredible uh, opportunity for young people to, yeah. to be able to access. And the that. great thing is I'm uh, I go to a two year community college, so it's like we're one of the only two year colleges in the, in America that's a Steinway school. Fantastic. Really cool. Not really cool when I'm trying to solo on a really fast song and I don't have any practice soloing on that song. So first of all, the keys are heavy, which I can deal with. It's not like it's impossible to play a piano with heavy keys, right? Mm. But the thing is, the keys are heavy in tandem with the fact that I'm nervous as all get out because I've never played this song before except in rehearsal with the band. I don't have my my solo chops in order. I haven't broke it. I haven't analyzed the song at all, really. And I'm trying to impress not only this audience that I don't know, but this guest artist who just showed up tw- like ten minutes ago, who I have to be on his goods. I don't want to be the guy who messed up his concert. <laughs> so I'm freaking out internally. I'm like screaming on the inside, and I just tear through this solo, and I get through one chorus. I'm like, okay. I'm done. I take a breath, right? And one chorus is like one repeat of this. And right, I'm getting right to the end of this chorus. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be done with this. We'll go back in the melody. I'll just play chords again. It'll be awesome. My fingers are stiff and awkward. And I'm like, at this ready point, you to be peed done. your pants. Right. You know, any semblance of dignity has been thrown out the window at this point. <laughs> and right as I'm finished with this first chorus, Ron's like, all right, one more. All right. One more. So I take an even worse chorus of soloing. It's brutal, man. Brutal. I had my butt handed to me on a silver platter. Yeah. Was what happened there. And so the value of that lesson. Hey, or the, Austin, of that experience. What's the value of that experience? Yes. So the value I learned there was to keep playing at all times and you'll if you go to music school you'll hear this repeated over and over again loud and proud wrong and strong right doesn't matter if you're playing the wrong notes if you're strong about it and you're confident in it you'll be good to go even if you're playing the wrong notes people will be less likely to second guess you if you're confident about it absolutely yeah um 
but to persevere through that experience, um, first when I when we were done, uh, Ron told me he was like, "Man, you did you did you didn't suck," is what he said. He said <laughs> you did really you played well. That's you, I, I can imagine that meant so much to you at that point. It did mean well coming from him for what I learned of him over the next day. That's a huge compliment. But he said I played well. And he said lesser lesser pianists would have let let it got away get away from them. They would have stopped playing. Mm. They would have they would have quit. And they they would have like not they lost control. And you didn't. You continued to play. And that that was really good. You did well. I yeah, was like Yeah. That's wow. that's beautiful. I, I think uh I think those are the moments in life when you can learn very special things that you can't learn in other moments. Right. I, I also think that one of the one of the valuable things that you probably experienced there is you you learned twelve things about yourself that you will never forget are your weaknesses. Yeah. Until until you sort through those weaknesses and make them your strengths, you, you it's it is burned into your brain. Yeah. In other words, the mistake taught you in a a much more intense and dramatic and yes, painful but meaningful way about your mistakes, and it and it also taught you all sorts of uh, nuance uh, nuances that maybe you don't understand about what you need to do better. Right. So through that experience, and so now you you hit that same sort of thing in the future. For one, you're going to do better. Mm-hmm. Because you're gonna go. I've been here before. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do what I did last time. There was that thing that worked. There was a lot of things that didn't work, but there was that one thing that worked. I'm gonna do a little bit of that, and then I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna continue to sort of uh, find my way through this, and it's a little less uncomfortable this time. And then you find yourself in positions which I am lucky enough to find myself in in certain areas of life and i the, the reason i know that i find myself in these positions is because of the contrast of the uh, i i also find myself in the opposite hitting adulthood where, mm. in areas where i feel a lot less confident but uh, th- that contrast helps me understand the areas that i'm confident in and whenever i go into a situation that is seemingly uncomfortable uh, let's say it's a group setting or uh, some sort of you know, some sort of performative thing or some sort of conversational thing where I have to have to speak in a way that's that gives me social anxiety. This I access a lot of the sort of I've done this before factor and it's it is tremendously easier. I operate better because mm-hmm. of that. And not to mention there is the there is the part of it that's really painful and scary, but if you allow it, there's the part of it that is so fun and rewarding of being in that kind of situation. Yes. The adrenaline rush is just unreal. <laughs> I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, right. And For sure. And so you think beforehand, you're like, if that ever happened to me, I would I would go home and stab myself with a butter knife that night. But now you're like, I, I'm so Brutal. glad. I'm so <laughs> I'm. I, well, you have to. It's a kind of a horrible situation, so you have to make it funny, like you know, uh, but, by making it extremely painful. Ex- well, yeah, I guess. Ah! I suppose. 
<laughs> it's the dullest object I can cart myself with. Uh, where's that? So, uh, I forget where I was going with that. Butter knife. Oh, now, nowadays, you look back at that experience and go, I'm so glad that happened to me. Right. That was, that was amazing. I got to hear my, uh, my, I got to hear one of my heroes tell me I didn't suck. Right. Uh, which is like this beautiful compliment where it's like, like, Sort like you don't know exactly what it means, but you do know you didn't suck, and that's right. enough, right? <laughs> so, uh, so I I think there's so much so much value that you can pull from a situation where you are you are uh, you're completely uncomfortable. Everything in you beforehand does not want anything to do with that situation, yet you persevere anyway. I've never found right. a situation where I decided it, where it was going to be something that was really uncomfortable to me. I went through with it, and then after that went, gosh, that was that was horrible. I took nothing from that experience. Right. It just doesn't And there's happen. never a time when you persevere through something and you wish, man, I wish I had quit, right? Right. I wish I had quit halfway through. I wish I would have just abandoned that, right? Absolutely. If it's worthwhile. If it's something that's totally pointless and stupid, yeah, probably – You'll probably wish, like, man, I could have spent my time doing something, you know, meaningful, like learning the guitar or mm. writing an essay or <laughs> Let's put it this book. way. If it's something that you voluntarily wanted to partake in and it scares you but you knew you had to do it, <laughs> let's put it that way. I, I'm not so interested in getting more crowns or fillings in my teeth. Uh, it's, But I, I, I learned a lot from the experience. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Uh, but they poked a nerve and that wasn't fun. So I'm going to not do that anymore. But however, if it's, if it's something that is like, man, that would be, let's put it this way. If it was something that if you saw yourself on the other side of that and you saw yourself as a successful version of yourself on the other side of that experience, and it makes you happy to think about that, you have to go through with it. Right. That's so, I kind of knew beforehand that volunteering to be on the faculty band would kind of kick my butt a little bit yeah because it's the faculty band and their bar is way up here and i'm way down here and one of the one of the things i have is i never want to be the best person at what i am in the room you know what i mean yeah so surrounding myself with that level of excellence with those with that caliber of musicianship was good for me and i knew that but I knew I knew it was going to be painful. But I didn't know they were going to volunteer me to take a solo on a song. That I didn't know. <laughs> they should have told me first. Well, none of the faculty knew. They were they were like, it was Ron. Ron just kind of showed up and and took over the sh- the show. Which he he's the star. He he does that. That's his job. Do you, do you think he? Do you think he was trying to to like get you to another? Do you think he was being a guru and he was trying like a like you're, 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 you were his Padawan and he was trying he and to get I you to never a new level. He and I said a word to each other by, at this point in time. Yeah. The only thing he had said to me prior to that point was my funny, my foolish heart and B flat. So, but I wonder if he was looking at you over there and he was like, there's something about that kid. I got to get him to do a solo and fail. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know what goes on in the inner workings of Ron Wilkins. That man is is an enigma. No one knows what goes on in the inner workings of Ron Wilkins. 
uh, he's he's awesome guy. And later, I redeemed myself. The next night was the big band concert, and I had uh, written out in some of the charts some piano solos that I was supposed to take. Not written out as in I had pre-written a solo to take, but there there were parts blocked out that I was taking a solo on. And um, those of you who follow me at all know that I play melodica. Hey-o. Which is a wind instrument that sounds like a harmonica, but it's got a keyboard on it, which is kind of cool. Yeah, you played the Office theme on it last time. That was pretty exciting. Oh, I did I did do that, didn't I? Yeah. Wow, it's so long ago. My gosh. Uh, so Ron really liked that. He was so tickled that I play the melodica. And he was like, you take a melodica solo on every song that you take a piano solo. Instead of the piano solo, take a melodica solo. <laughs> All right. And I was like, you got it, Ron. Because everyone gives me flack. I catch so much flack for being melodica boy in the big band. You have no clue. So him telling me to take the melodica solo on everything was basically him giving the middle finger to everyone and everything. That's beautiful. It was so awesome. And I actually took a really, like, after the after my solos, after that concert, he was like, dude, killing. So he, like, gave me a fist bump. I was like, oh, oh. you went, you upgraded. Mm-hmm. You didn't suck. He's like that was a it. that was a killing solo. I was like, "Thank you, Ron. Thank you, honestly." I love so. It. Wow, that so okay. that so that I kind of redeemed story. myself. That really paid night. off. Yeah, that was really good. Um, I I think that uh, I think that we learned a lot. There was a lot of value there. I think that that something that photographers and people who are more solo oriented, solitary types of artists. Uh, may may have trouble accessing is not not that it's not there, but maybe that there's not the uh, the drive in them to find this thing is that sort of social accountability that you get with a band. Mm. There's such a beautiful feedback loop that happens with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things I will one of the pieces of advice I'll give to artists who aren't in a in a you know a live setting where like like painters or or photographers, or, or you know, sculptors, or you know, people who have a, a their medium is more um, time asymmetrical, or like you 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 make it and then it's out there versus you're playing with other you're interacting with other artists is just put yourself out there and force yourself to work um, to make something even if you feel like it's not good and then put it out there. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And put it out there where other people see it because forcing yourself to continuously put something out, um, kind of has the same effect as being a musician in a, in a setting where you're constantly rehearsing with other musicians and you're constantly playing with other musicians is working on, on a, on a schedule where you're putting something out consistently makes it so that, you're having to constantly work on yourself to get better, a because you have because more diverse. You're just putting it, yeah, you're putting in the time to make something very often, and then you're also putting it out there for other people to see and critique. And so you're it's different from I have this little side project I've been working on for 47 years. I just have it keep it in my basement to myself. I could would you like to see it? Which everybody you know, to has. like your house guest, right? Um, Instead, it's like, no, I've put out 10 paintings in the last 10 days or something. I mean, that's probably ridiculous. I don't know. I'm not a painter. <laughs> um, I'm sure it could be done. I'm probably. 
but you know, very minimalist, like, I'm sure, but I'm sure it could be done. Yeah, you, but you, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, put something out on a consistent basis to where you're forcing yourself to be seen by other people. Yeah, yeah. And just the act of that, not even necessarily the feedback that they'll give you, all of that will be very valuable. Even the feedback that's that seems at first um, overtly negative and non-constructive, like, oh, that painting sucks or whatever, right? There's something to be gleaned from every perspective in the room, I think. Mm. Everyone, can te- everyone can teach you something, even if the thing they teach you is, ignore me, I'm an ignorant slob, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I also think there's value to creating on a routine, uh, period. Whether you put it out... Whether you uh, to uh, there's this idea in writing that the way that you uh, overcome any what 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 people would call writer's block is that you need to sit down for six hours in the morning every single day, write all the stuff in your head, good and bad. Yes, you know, and and, and sort of even if it's I can't remember, I can't think of anything to write. Right, right. and it, it's and and hopefully you'll find something good within that. But the practice, the the create the creative process is like a train it's mm-hmm. you, it takes a lot of energy to get it going get it going to right cre- to create the momentum and you access new levels of momentum by practicing that thing mm-hmm. and, yes and also it goes back to um what the creative vomit method from earlier yes that by putting all of these things out in front of you and then having the courage and conviction to sort through them and figure out what's good uh, that's a that that is more in line with the way our brains work as humans than this idea of finding something in your head that you haven't yet communicated. Yes, like sorting through your your brain's a dense place. Yeah, so <laughs> mine gotta, in particular. Right, you got to, and it's very convoluted, and you can't quite understand what. And this is why we have it's like a swamp. Right, right, right. This is why we have language in the first place is to be able to to take these vague ideas, these very mushy kind of undefined things in our head and turn them into something that is a thing that you can hold in your hand. Right. Right. And then we can define it. We can say, oh, that's what that is. And uh, and I, I think that that's that's really important. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the last thing that I wanted to ask you is. What is the what is the value for you of watching other creators create? And the reason I ask that is because I've I've come across this epiphany recently and I would love to hear your thoughts on this that there is tremendous value to literally just watching somebody practice their craft or even just uh so f- for example, if you're looking at uh, if you're thinking about vlogs on the internet, huge trend right now, kind of been kind of a thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, but you get these these very uh, creative people who are making these vlogs about their day, right? And there is the them practicing that craft, and there's all the crap they do around that in the day. And just watching them make coffee mm-hmm. has inherent value. Just mm-hmm. watching how they go through their day and problem solve all of the little things. If there's somebody who you're trying to be more like. Uh, there's so much value to that, and so I kind of, I kind of felt like I needed to maybe have a specific meaning and something to communicate in yeah. my work. And there's value to that, and I do a lot of that. I'm doing that literally at the moment. But 
but there's also so much value, and this is what partly why I do my photo walk videos as well, which are more produced and edited and this sort of thing, is because you get to watch me sort of go through the process mm-hmm. of of taking on a, 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 a photographic project, going yes. downtown, taking, finding people to take, just that and how I navigate that. It, I could I could give you no specific advice, but you could just watch me do it, and there's value to that. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, do you have any creators that you that you partake in that are very valuable Uh-oh. just to watch? Obviously, music and music. This is an easy one. Yeah. Well, um, first of all. Um, there's a great value to be had in just watching someone create something or watch some watching someone practice because the good borrow and the great steal, mm. right? If I see something I like that you do, I'm going to steal it, make it mine. Violently with a butter knife. The butter knife. <laughs> so um, plagiarism is obviously wrong, right? Mm. But if I see – but. To steal something means you take something and you make it your own, right? You don't take it and pass it. I mean, counterfeiting is its own deal, right? I'm passing something off that's not mine as mine. You're not se- right? you're not selling it on eBay, in in other words. But to steal something means I take an idea or, or a practice of yours, and I make it my own, and then I use it, right, mm-hmm. for my own purposes, right? So watching great artists practice or create. I can. I, there's great value to be had by just stealing. Like, okay, so I'm at my level. I'm at community college jazz piano level, right? Like this level's negative one. It's not even like level one, <laughs> right? Oh um, come on! It's at least it's at least one point five. One point five. Yeah. Okay, whatever. So I you don't you then, don't suck, right? I don't suck according to world class. Best bass trombonist in the world, Ron Wilkins. And to be at you don't suck, you have to be at least past a one. Sure. You know. Uh, but just watching, you know, artists do things, I can steal things from them and be like this goal. And, and being at like level one, I can ask myself, okay, well, how does a world-class jazz pianist like Elder Jengarov or Herbie Hancock or T- Tigran Hamasian or Hiromi Wahara or... Brad Meldow, like, how do they practice, right? Because how they practice is how I want to practice because how they practice is how they got to where they are now. They're at a, a whole different level. So at the level they practice is at a completely higher, different level from the level at which I practice, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, um, oh, you wanted to know what artists I, I, I watch. Um, and and what value of- they bring to you. Yeah, well, there's a couple different ones. That one of them is a guy named Adam Neely. He's a YouTuber, like yourself. Oh, he's a bassist, uh, right? Bass player, yeah, right. and composer. And one of the cool things about Adam is he went to two of the schools that I want to go to. He went to Berkeley College of Music in Boston, and then he went to Manhattan School of Music in New York. And that was really cool. By the way, I lost video. Oh, do you not? Uh, I can't see you. Oh, you I, I can't see, see you right now. Oh, no. weird. I'll, I'm going to keep talking, but yeah, can, no, keep going. Yeah, aware. that's uh, strange because I see myself. Okay. Weird. It's probably just a low bandwidth problem then for me. That's okay. Well, it, it'll Maybe. work out in the end. Improv, improv. Improvise, adapt, and overcome. So, um, Adam Neely, he does not not only does he have 
tremendous insight into the world of music and how how we can harness different things and use it to create music. Because this whole deal is like, how do I use this to make music that's meaningful to people, right? Which I love. Like, so many people just get so heady that they that it's all about, like, you know, it's all about the concepts. It's not about the music, right? Mm. It's all about the the intellectual value. It's the edu- like the, the academic value of the music versus is it actually musical right yeah and Adam's well, whole and deal it's is, like it's like that's the that that is the thing that's directly in front of you as you're <clears throat> as you're learning music is the uh is it, uh, specifically if you're maybe not so much self-taught is mm-hmm. this all of the technicalities and so that's directly in front of you so of course you're gonna be thinking about that a lot it's the right, first right. thing but you have to sort of like push these things out of the way a little bit and say, hold on, why am I making music? What's the meaning? Right. And what am I trying to say with this piece? Right, right, right. right. And so Adam's whole deal is like, well, he, he goes on this like big long thing and, so it's, and he uses historical examples. He uses uh, excerpts from uh, academic texts on music, like 20th Century Harmony, which is like apparently the, the Bible of musical harmony real, and how to write music. Book, the real the real book yeah um and then he he brings it all together and he he talks about all these concepts these crazy concepts like uh why we use different tuning uh techniques like how the way you tune a piano you know it's impossible to actually have a perfectly tuned piano and the math just the math doesn't work out properly video's working again oh good um the math just doesn't work out so that you have a perfectly tuned piano. It's always going to be very slightly out of tune. So how we figure out how to make it perfectly, you know, how we make it perfectly out of tune so everything's equally uh, tempered. Um, and he takes all these concepts that are, like, so out there, and he's like, so how do I use this to make music? And that's really cool. But on top of that, that's not even the main thing. The main thing is he does these gig vlogs where he, he does a video of himself doing a gig. And I can just watch him, and he he takes like you know several hours worth of content and breaks it down into like a five, ten, fifteen minute video that I can just consume and watch, and like, but I can glean a lot from what he's done. It's like, wow, okay, so this is sort of getting musicians' life looks like, right? Mm-hmm. He he's on the subway, he he's learning his music like on the way to his gigs half the time, he's figuring things out which makes you Once push I, harder right like it right. makes you more disciplined because you're like right. oh he's doing that on the subway i don't want to do that for, at my house when it's comfortable right and he's not even that's not even his practice time like he has dedicated practice time and he, he did a thing where he he actually had a nine hour live stream of his and just his practice routine that i haven't had the chance to sit through and watch the whole thing yet but that sounds like um, old though yeah really cool and he's a bass player so obviously i can't practice bass on piano I guess I could practice at the bass end of the piano. But um so that's really that's there's a lot of value there on that channel. And then the other one I wanna I wanted to mention. I just I just eat, sleep and breathe music. So I'm constantly consuming new music. So just from that standpoint, I'm Obsession is for, good. Obsession is Yeah, really I'm listening good to because why else would I be a musician except for love of music, right? So I'm listening <laughs> to music all There's the time. also money, but <laughs> you know. There's a if you're in music for the money, you're in the wrong business, friend. Music <laughs> is not about money. But what all. about Justin Bieber? He's not a musician. Uh-oh. He's Shots an, fired at Biebs. He's a singer. 
and a songwriter. And that's all well and dandy. He can play but drums, he... I think, right? When was the last time you saw him play drums? I saw a video from when he, like 2011 or something. Right, when he was a little kid. He forgot. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, the other... Uh, so, I just glean value from just listening to music and listening for things I can take from it, right? And then Trent, one of the elements of a musician's uh, music is to transcribe, meaning write down what other people have done. So I listen to something I, I really like. I, I can then just decide to transcribe that piece of music and take, take it element by element, piece by piece, instrument by instrument, and write down everything that's happening uh, and, and notated sheet music. And once I've transcribed that, then I can play it. Then I can reverse it. Well, I reverse engineer it so I can play it myself. Um, and that that's a there's a value to be had from that. Mm-hmm. But then the big big example that I I think was cool um, was Esperanza Spalding. She's a bass player. She's she plays upright and she sings. And she had this this thing called uh, Exposure. And it's a it's a project. It's an album that she created in seven days. And her inspiration was um, photography, uh, instant exposure photography. So she wanted to create an album like a Fujifilm Instax. A photographer creates a, a, a photo. Right, 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 yeah. You, you, you so take she, the she photo and she wanted to feel instant? She wanted the exposure to be on the, on the, on the film. She had, like... She w- didn't want it to be super overproduced or edited or everything. She wanted everything to be in the moment, like gotcha. very like very organic, like like an instant, you know, yeah. film. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because a photographer can spend days, weeks, months in the studio just tweaking, you know, exposure and lighting and and you know, brush brushing, airbrushing, like different parts of the photo. Right. They can spend all day with that, but. Um, and that can create a completed photo, but then a completed photo can also be created just instantly. Yeah, yeah. You know, with a with an exposure. And so her idea was, I'm gonna lock me and my band in the studio for seven days, seven hours and seventy seven minutes, or something like that. It's cool. It's exciting. Uh, not seven, seven days, seven hours. Uh, something I know it's impossible to have seventy seven minutes, but. 777 like, seconds, 777 seven, microseconds, right. nanoseconds. Right. Seven is the number of perfection. And she liked the symbolism of that in her album. So she locked her and her band in the studio for a week, basically. Was there and food? Yes. This is an food, important they, question. They took naps. They slept. The, I mean, they ate. They used the restroom. All that good stuff. Thank God. I'm but, glad they didn't, but they didn't die. Right. They didn't leave the studio. And she created an entire album um, from scratch, wrote all the songs, came up with all the ideas, uh, wrote all the lyrics, worked everything out with her band, structure wise, came up with an album's worth of tracks, mixed, mastered, edited them and put it all together in seven days. That's so good. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. So uh, and she live streamed the whole thing on Facebook. Okay, okay. So that's where the and documentation I, comes in, right? And I didn't necessarily watch the whole thing because I just I heard about it like midway through, and so I only ever I only got to see the tail end of it. So I got to see a little bit of her like 
uh, retaking things, like going back in and re-recording stuff that needed to be re-recorded, and then like post-production stuff. But it's still super valuable to watch an artist create from scratch. Like, and Esperanza's world class. I mean, she's incredible. Yeah. Any, any. That's I mean, what's amazing that we have this access to, to right. these people. And and I'm I'm. It's like really awesome that she just put that out there for the world to see. And only seven thousand seven uh, seven hundred and seventy seven. Some people got copies of the album. Oh wow! She only had like a limited number of presses that she did. Wow. Um. So I didn't. I didn't get a chance to buy one, but um, I'm hoping she releases it digitally. I don't know if there's any chance of that happening. <laughs> but anyway, it was really, really cool and valuable to watch her create from scratch. And I thought, like, this is really awesome to to just see how she comes up with ideas, how she communicates with her band how she processes and how she, she conceptualizes different things, you know, how her band talks to her, different ideas she comes up with. Like, all of that is just like, I'm like a sponge at that point. I'm just, just there to absorb information. Yeah, yeah. And that was really valuable. That's that's super awesome. I think that, uh, <clears throat> so my example really quickly is that uh, I have many people I follow on a daily basis and uh-huh. I think a huge part of what I'm, what I'm doing when I'm watching YouTube videos all day long is engaging in this this thing of watching other people create and uh i'm inspired by all sorts of art forms uh but one unique experience i just got to have was going to new york city and we had a bunch of uh creator friends there and these are these are people who are who are youtube creators who are very much in the vein of what we're trying to create me and my wife and they are they're wildly successful uh especially for their ages they're like our age and maybe like maybe five years older right wow and 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 they're financially they're uh, you know in terms of their following they're doing incredible they, they they're absolutely killing it every day awesome they have you know two of our friends have an apartment in new york and an office wow so just do that math that's exciting <sighs> but <laughs> And I mean, this is in Manhattan. This, you know, so yeah. So, uh, so we got to sleep in their office. Nice. For, yeah, and that was saved a lot of money. Uh, but we got to just kind of go along with these creator friends and experience the energy of their workflow. And, mm. and and watch what they're up to and hear, listen to them talk about what they're up to. And just we just got to watch them and absorb their osmosis of, you know, goodness and Right, right. Uh and, and also just the energy of New York in itself. If you get the chance to go to to spend three days in New York, it's a really special thing, no matter what you're That's up my to. life goal. Like every day I wake up, the first thought on my mind is how can I get to New York? Okay. <laughs> Dude, it's the energy in the streets is amazing, right? You just walk out and there are people running around everywhere. People are doing stuff. Everybody's everybody's active. You feel like everybody's trying to accomplish something. Yes, because that's the way it is in New York. If that you're is, not moving, if you're not living, if you're not doing something, you're you're out. Yes, you're gone. You're yes. done. 
And so I got surrounded by this energy and there, and this was so, this was like, take a, take the best YouTube video you've ever watched from sort of a productive and creative motivation perspective and multiply that by 7,777,000 and you get, you get like a little bit of New York. It, it was really incredible. And, uh, so there's, so the good thing is that you can experience a little of this on a daily basis by going on YouTube and all the, mm-hmm. the assorted platforms that offer this and just absorb that. We absorb it to the point that it gets really dull, but we, we have to understand how, how valuable that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also you have to put yourself in these really spectacular experiences of, of often of physicality where you are yes where you're going to see an orchestra you're you're going to watch some sort of uh, some sort of uh, i think of like a, a broadway play or something where you where you mm-hmm. this is an art form that you don't think about on a daily basis but you can go there and go oh this these people know what they're up to this is amazing right. go see you know your favorite music i mean go go get around people uh buy somebody coffee who inspires you and let that seep into you. And what you yeah. what you learn from that is it it reminds you what would be helpful to your process. Absolutely. Uh, hearkening back to the the um, Jacob Collier thing from earlier, it watching him in his creative process and his speed and his playfulness, which is kind of a big deal in music. Yes, he's very energetic. Yes, very lively. Yeah, but he, but also it's like he doesn't he doesn't get he doesn't take anything too seriously. Like he'll no. he'll run over to the drums and just lay down a quick drum thing, and he's like, oh, that sounds good enough. Whereas I'm like, oh crap, I missed. You know, the snare was like just over the beat, and you have to you have to sort of let go. And mm-hmm. he does. So I I well, and also he's good enough to get it perfect on the first try, and then joke, ah, it was good enough, and all the drummers <laughs> are staring like. Why are you so much better? Than yeah, me? and he'll he'll say things like, uh, basically, I'm not a real drummer, and this sort of. Thing. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? He's, you know, he has an interesting style. But anyway, uh, it is uh, so in my own creative process and everything I'm up to outside of music. Watching him engage in that speed and that playfulness made me want to add more of that to my process. Mm. which could actually change the route of my life in a sense. Yeah. It also reminds you to enjoy it, enjoy the process of art. You watch somebody else do it. You see them. You're not seeing the emotions they're necessarily feeling as they're trying Mm -hmm. to work through it. Maybe they're a little bit stressed or what. You're watching them and you're just going, they look like they're having a good time. Mm -hmm. And it reminds you how important it is that you should have that too. And it also reminds you... uh, the value of, of searching for meaning in your work. Cause when, yeah. you, when you're moved by somebody who is, when you're moved by a piece of work, a, a film, uh, a musical piece, uh, some, you know, a, a photograph, which I've had plenty of those. Uh, when, when you're moved in some way emotionally, it reminds you, it reminds you that you should maybe be up to something similar in your own work and mm. the gap between you and, and that, <laughs> Mm-hmm. Which often can be quite big. Um, in the same vein, I think it's important to immerse yourself in whatever you're doing. Sure. Like for instance, um, if you're a photographer, look at look at pictures, look at photographs that you love. Mm-hmm. Fa- find people who inspire you, and just look at 
look at what they've done and just study their paintings, right? Or study their, their pictures, paintings, excuse me. If you're a writer, read, read books, read essays, read, you know, uh, blogs, read, read writing that makes you inspired, that makes you feel like you're inadequate and just immerse yourself in that. If you're, Oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. Just very quickly, I'll add that that uh, it's important to do that with thoughtful intentionality because it can become very dull, just the flow of things, like the feed mm-hmm. of life. And right. so, like, you have to approach that. You have to be very intentional about finding people who actually at- offer value to you and engaging with their work in an intentional way. For sure. Carry on. Um, I was actually going to say the opposite, though, like, Oh, okay, don't do that. Dr- no, 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 do do that. Do do that. Be intentional, but also drown yourself in it, right? Oh, okay, just uh, immerse Completely yourself in the, submerse yourself the pond in the, in, of inspiration. Right. Yeah. And what what you'll notice, start to notice happen is the more you consume, the more like that you'll become, right? Mm. Like I've had multiple people tell me that I play like Brad Meldow. Like Ron Wilkins, he was listening to me play. I was just noodling around in the practice room, and he was like, Austin? He, he stopped me. He was like, Austin, do you listen to a lot of Brad Meldow? I was like, yes. And he's like, I can tell. <laughs> now, I've never transcribed anything by, written by Brad Meldow. I've never taken any of his, of his songs and deconstructed them. I've never analyzed anything in depth that he's done. But I grew up listening to his records. I've listened to so many hours of Brad Meldow that it's become internalized inside of me that I I kind of have a piece of Brad's music in my own music. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so when I play, there's a little mini Brad that's also playing. Yeah. That's that's being expressed there because I've just spent so much so much time. It's, a, it's almost worked itself into the soil of your creative process. Exactly. So yeah. so in the same vein, you you write like how you read, right? What you read, um, my dad has a saying, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket, right? Mm. You read a bunch of stuff that gets put down in the well, and then when you put something out, that's what's come up in the bucket, right? Yeah, yeah. You're putting, you're putting you know, uh, I mean, the point of that phrase is garbage in, garbage out, right? Mm. If you put in garbage, you get out garbage. If you put in quality, you get out quality. So don't consume things that are of bad quality, but if you consume things that are of good quality, your work will start to shine and your work will start to, to, to express that too. Super good. Super good. And that's what I love about art is that both of those things can simultaneously be true at the same time. What, what, yes. what I was saying and what you were saying, it's like there's value to both of those uh, sentiments and figuring out the sort of interplay between them is what is what is kind of the point yeah absolutely there's no clash there's not a difference i I feel like there's not they're not really mutual exclusive like Mm. for instance as a musician i can be listening to all sorts of music all the time right i can have it playing in the car when i'm at home when i'm sleeping when i'm awake when i'm eating when i'm practicing whatever right actually it's probably not a good idea to play music while you practice it's distracting but uh (laughs) Uh, but you're, I'm constantly playing music. But at the same time, I can have a transcription project that I'm working on. It's a set piece of music that I'm continually listening to. And every day, 
I'm working on transcribing that down and writing it down, right? Mm. I can listen to other stuff while I go about my day, but that one piece of music is my intentional study for the moment, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And t- so maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe you, as a photographer, you have a holy grail photo you want to take. Yeah. It's like the photo that's like the, the money shot, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you take that photo, your career is made. <laughs> yeah. Like that, I want my photo to look exactly like that. Yeah. Right? You have something you want to do. Take that photo and just study it. Study the sight lines. Study the composition. Study, you know, the shading, uh, uh, you know, the, the shadows. Study the, the use of uh, angles. Study, you know, everything. Yeah. All, yeah. All, all the elements all the elements of the photo, color, lighting, uh, you know, white balance, all that. Mm. Just, and just not all at once, obviously, but like every day you like pick an element and just like really work on that and maybe try and take photos that emulate each element of the photo. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, that's not the only picture you look at in your life, right? Right. You're looking at other photos, you're appreciating other photos when you're scrolling through the internet. There's tons of professional photographers. They do everything from work on Twitter to YouTube to um, blogs to having their own professional art uh, website. You see photos on TV, that kind of thing. You can still appreciate those without having to delve too deep into them. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's both. It's like you have this, uh, <clears throat> you have this enormous ocean of influence for yourself. And then, right. and then you have these very specific points that are that are these 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 high points of creative awesomeness and right. and meaning, and then you figure out you figure out what makes that person, what makes everything about the photo, the person behind it, all of the elements that go into it, uh, what makes that person what it is. Why is it right. so meaningful? And more, I think one of the most important questions you can ask is why why is it so emotionally compelling to me and how did mm-hmm. that person get there right because that's, that's where it's that's, at that's one of the things i'm doing right now uh i discovered recently this piece by adam neely called exigence okay and a- adam that man's a freak i, I gotta <laughs> tell you and i never heard i've listened to like his like solo stuff he does a lot of electronic music that's really, really good. He has this project with this drummer named Sean Crowder called Sungazer, where Sean Crowder will lay down a drum beat, and then Adam will just literally program a whole song around the drum beat. Oh, fun. I so like that. Sean will just record himself playing drums, just whatever he feels like for like three or four minutes or whatever. And then Adam will come in afterwards, take that recording, and put a bunch of stuff in so it flows like an actual song. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, but Adam composed this big band piece. It's actually a multimedia piece because it has a video playing behind the big band the whole time, and there's, there's like, electronic music elements of it. But it's mainly for big band mm. called Exigence, and he performed it live. He didn't uh, record it in a studio. He performed it live at, like, a, performing, a performance hall. I, l- I love that, that genres like big band are alive and well. And it's... It is killing, dude. It's yeah. not only alive and well. This big band piece is so well done. I get full body chills when I listen to it mm. every time. And I've listened to this piece, Exigence, 
And I bought it on Bandcamp. I liked it so much. Like, as soon as I heard it on YouTube, I watched the videos on YouTube. I was like, I have to own this. So I bought it on Bandcamp. I downloaded it on my phone. And, like, every day for the past five days, I've played it in my car Mm. on the way to school, on the way home from school. When I'm in my headphones, I'll just play it over and over again. And that's kind of like my – not necessarily – I'm not necessarily transcribing it, but I'm studying it and I'm internalizing it. Like, like, okay – what is what is this piece? What is he doing? How, why is it so good? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. You can um, you can take it from a very micro level and pay attention to all the the nuances that go into making up this this beautiful work of art. And you can also look at it from a macro emotional perspective. Meaning, okay, so one of my favorite movies of all time is, and I I don't know if this is as a like. As a guy with a filmmaker background, I don't know if this is supposed to be one of my favorite movies, but quite frankly, I don't care. Uh, but The P- Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. Okay. Is, Never saw that, but I've oh always wanted to. Oh, gosh. It's the, the whole movie's about the American <clears throat> dream. It's, it's him starting at a place where he's very poor and dealing with and living in San Francisco. He has his son. They, mm. And they hit very low point. You know, he starts out, he's in, uh, I think he's in an apartment maybe, loses that, can't pay rent. They end up living in a subway station for a night. I mean, just like horrible circumstances. And this whole time he's working to try to uh, sell some invention or something and, and try to get a job and get become ex- successful so he can take care of himself and his son. Right. The pursuit of happiness. And... This, but the the acting and the music, everything about this movie comes together so perfectly. And have you ever seen this scene where he's he's walking? It's Will Smith walking outside in a group of people, and he's like clapping and crying like this. No, you've never seen that. Okay, no. Well, there's this. It's the last scene of the movie. It's right after he got a promotion. Okay. Right, and this is, he's been working so hard for the, for this. The whole movie is building up to him getting this promotion. And, like, the first day he comes into the job interview, he's, like, his clothes are all jacked up because they got stolen or something. I, I don't remember exactly. But you just go through this this thing with him. And if you're somebody who lives in America and who is trying to be successful, you've experienced all those feelings that he's mm-hmm. feeling, whether you whether you necessarily lived in a subway tunnel or not, you're you're going through that with him, and you can relate so much. I think maybe before 18 years old, you can't relate so much. But as soon as you go, oh, I got to get a job. And then I got to mm-hmm. figure out, oh, I got to figure out how I'm going to do this thing where I make money and do the thing that I enjoy and do something that's meaningful and all the feelings that come with that. All of that is wrapped into his movie. And Will Smith's such a freaking brilliant actor in this. It's yeah, really good. Best performance. And the music's fantastic. And like, there, you can go online right now and look up Pursuit of Happiness ending scene. Mm-hmm. Every time I watch that scene, I almost cry. <laughs> almost. Oh, it's like it's you can feel it, you know, coming up. You just right. it comes up your body. You just you. It is it is such an emotionally moving movie and scene. Okay, so I'm not necessarily digging into the intricacies of that movie in terms of technicality because. I just really don't care to. I just like actually enjoying that movie for what it is. Mm. But I'm so moved by the emotionality, like the the emotionality of the movie, that 
it actually make it makes me want to go succeed. That's one of the things I love about the movie so much is like it makes me want to go punch life in the face. Mm-hmm. And this is something that comes from a piece of art, and this to be one of the reasons why I love the movie is it exemplifies what I'm trying to illustrate when I say make your art have meaning. Right. Right. This movie moved me to literally possibly take action and change my life. And uh, that's that's something that's a big deal. That's and I think that's that's important to to not go through life without thinking about. Right. And so, uh, and so I guess the point is that you can enjoy. You can. There are certain works of art that you can sit down and enjoy on a micro level, and there are certain works of art you can enjoy uh, on a on an emotional level and take out uh, take in what that art is. Mm-hmm trying to tell you and use the emotions that that creates in you to motivate yourself. Cause that's how we Absolutely. actually move forward is not by necessarily uh, intellectualizing things, but by emotional moments. Yeah. Well, James, I'll encourage you um, to go ahead and do study pursuit of happiness. If it moves you that much, because uh, one of the things is the magic doesn't get lost when you learn how the trick is done. Right. Absolutely. I agree. Um, when, when a magician sees another magician at a very high level do a trick and they know the basics of magic, they know how sleight of hand works and all that, and they see the music, the magician like do a trick, they can figure it out. Right. Mm. But the joy of the magic isn't lost. Right. Right. They're still amazed by the trick, but there's the added enjoyment of Oh, you clever bastard, right? Yeah. You see that like that was that it's the musician thing of, oh, mm. that was dirty, right? Mm. Like as a musician, I I am emotionally deeply emotionally impacted by great works of music, but at the same time, it doesn't ruin the experience for me to know what a one chord is. Right. Right. Right, right. To know to know how you know what root motion is or to know how how he's coordinating the bass or what kind of chords he's using like that doesn't when i'm thinking about that it's not ruining the the emotional experience it's not like i'm intellectualizing the song yeah i'm it's it only compounds and adds to the enjoyment yeah. right yeah i, so I agree if, i agree Look, if you study film right. and you look at it and you watch the pursuit of happiness through the lens of what makes this such a great film? I think you'll find that it'll become, you'll enjoy it that much more because you're not only moved by the story, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a powerful story. You're also amazed by how well coordinated the whole team of people who put it together are and the script, the, the director, the camera work, every, uh, the acting, mm-hmm. everything like that. Mm-hmm. I'll, uh, so let me let me clarify because I absolutely agree with what you're saying. The way that I look at it is there are two different dimensions of the work of art that can be enjoyed, and you can access both of those if you choose to. And one doesn't take away from the other. But like you have the technical dimension, then you have the uh, the the emotional dimension, and sort of maybe within that or another dimension. You have, let's just, we have infinite dimensions. We'll just go there with it. Uh, you see how my brain works. So mm-hmm. uh, t- there's an, there's the dimension where there's the, uh, there, there's the emotional movingness 
of the work of art, which it was designed to do for you, right? Mm -hmm. So there are these different dimensions that you can enjoy this work of art from. And sometimes you access this one, sometimes you access this one, but both of the, all of them work together. It's okay. Like you can access all of them. Now, uh, but w I actually have looked into the technicalities of the movie. I watched a video the other day of um, the behind the scenes with the director and Will Smith, how they found each other and their symbiosis, which I think really led into how the movie played out, all of that stuff. And uh, and it it just it just which is what you're saying it just added to the experience honestly because mm -hmm. you because I, I appreciate it more. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. For sure. So, with that said, uh, unless you have any other important things that are pressing, I think we're going to wrap it up here. This has been a wonderful conversation. Yes, it has. I, I thank uh, you so much for inviting me. Absolutely, absolutely. No, thank you so much for uh, coming and being willing to, uh, I guess, put up with the back and forth of us making sure that it works together and and this sort of thing. Like I'm, I kind, love it, man. I'm the kind of person that like when these things happen, I'm trying not to inconvenience you. Like, <laughs> so I think when you have, I'm two just people, along for the ride, man. Whatever you, wherever you want to go, I'm, I'm, I'm there. You know, I, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, so hopefully we can we can uh, continue this conversation yes, under sir. another topic with immense digression at a later date. All right. Where can they find you? Um, uh, I have a Twitter. Twitter. Austin underscore s underscore Ross. I'm also I'm not there yet, but I'm working on an album or an EP. Oh. So we're gonna go into the studio uh, as soon as I find a studio. But I've got a band together. We're work. We we've got all the material written out. We're gonna go to the studio pretty soon. Vinyl only, right? Only vinyl. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's, it, screw streaming services. No one. No one uses those. Yeah. It's no, vinyl. Vinyl. We gotta keep. At. We gotta keep vinyl alive. I mean. Um. So I'm not gonna plug my SoundCloud because that's dumb. But <laughs> you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Anchor.fm/slash/jazz. Although I'm not have. I haven't posted in a very long time. Um. Just due to scheduling stuff, but I'm I'm hoping to get back into it. Yeah, at for, some point. for a while, for a, a, a while now, you were you're rocking uh, Jazz Corner, which is forward slash jazz, mm -hmm. which is amazing. Anchor dot uh, Anchor FM forward slash jazz. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I secured that URL. Yes. That's that's mine. Yes, and you had Although, to kill, you had to kill a man with a butter whole... knife. What were you saying? <laughs> Anchor changed their whole layout recently. I am so confused by how how to do Anchor now. Because every time I add a song onto my station, it creates a whole new episode. Yeah. I don't yeah. want multiple episodes. I want my one episode to be just a list of songs. Well, they went, in, it's they went hardcore in the podcasting world, didn't they? Yeah, it's like not even music-friendly anymore, which is frustrating. Yeah. The whole layout is 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 kind of... Yeah. I like the old anchor. But I, I right. Anyway. I, I hope they. I hope they get their things together because I think that it's. Uh, it's. Uh, I don't. Uh, maybe I just. I haven't been watching it honestly since. Um, since they took me off the homepage, I'm just like screw you, anchor. You know. Uh, so anyway, they changed the homepage completely. <laughs> it's gone now. What? <laughs> oh, really? Okay. This is problematic. We need to storm the headquarters. 
so yeah, he was he was for a long time. Uh, Austin was posting to Jazz Corner, just beautiful jazz music. Introduced me to a couple of artists, and uh, just and, and hopefully you find a further outlet or something even even more meaningful and close to your heart. I'm hoping to start a YouTube channel at some point, probably oh, this please summer. Do it, yes, dude. You need so. to. You just need to sit down and and fiddle with your piano, and turn it on and talk and add, add an English accent to everything that you. Maybe not. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you guys for watching and or listening. I would love to hear your thoughts on what did we talk about connecting crafts together and how you've been inspired by other people's crafts. I feel like that wasn't really the topic we talked about today. We kind of wanted to do that and then the way the direction it kind of went was more um artistic discipline and um study of art. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. So, uh if you guys have been artistic disciplined or studied art before, <laughs> I want to. I I want. I so bad. I had so many things I wanted to say about um, cross disciplinary uh, inspiration. Oh you know, yeah. Well, you know what? Inspiring. I, the direction we went was definitely wonderful. I I truly enjoyed it, but I think we sh- we definitely need to come back together okay. at some point yeah. and do muchly agreed. Yes, I think that we should talk again and be more concise. And and have tasers under our seats for when we digress. He's like already there. Okay. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. Peace.